Hi guys, I hope you're all doing well. Um, as always, it is such a privilege for me to uh, open up the word of God and bring what is going on in my heart and in my spirit to share with you all. And I bring it as a submission uh, for you to consider uh, everything that I have to share. So I just want to make that uh, prelude before I jump into anything that I just, uh, um, I bring it as a submission in humility and say, you know, this is what is God's been doing in my heart. And uh, I would just urge you to consider some of these things that I have to share. So we are in uh, February. Welcome to the month of February to everyone. Uh, February has very quickly become my favorite month of the year. It used to be November. But I think now it's become Feb because it's it's a month of Valentine's Day. It is when people profess love to one another. It is a month of increased flower sales all around. And as it happens from this year onwards, it's the year that uh, it is a month that uh, I will be celebrating my wedding anniversary. So I'm extremely excited for that. Um, but love is so powerful, isn't it? I mean, the the. Uh, the number of people who, who gather the courage to profess their love to their loved ones and everything, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, so welcome to February. And so as a fitting sermon, uh, I'm going to be talking today about first love. Um, last week, Manish uh, brought such a timely message, uh, such a timely word to us on the importance of belonging to God and to one another. Okay, he, he uh, spoke about the urgent need for us to stay connected in right relationship to God and with one another. And he also said that how do we stay the first method or way by which we stay in a biblical fellowship with one another is that we receive God's love. And he also quoted this verse from 1 John 4, 19, which says we love because he first loved us. And that phrase, you know, even first loved us, he first loved us that just uh, resounded in my spirit so much because over the last few months, this has been like a repeated theme on my heart. You know, there is there is another place in the Bible where this phrase is used. If you look with me in Revelations 3, 2 to 5, it says, I know your works. This is this is God talking to the church of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a mature church, and you will know that by the description that's that's written over here. It says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Now, I cannot tell you how absolutely accurately this describes word of grace. You know, we have been patient. We have, we, we, we have despised evil. We have sussed out people who call themselves apostles and are not. Okay, I know you're enduringly patient and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. And that is a commendation from the Lord. And I feel uh, like that is a commendation for our uh, church as well. That, you know, we have not grown weary. We've not said, ah, now let it be. Uh, who'll meet in this COVID? For all of you who are on this call, you know, you've been coming every week week after week, not giving up, you've not grown weary. And I feel that this is this passage somehow is directed towards us in a prophetic way like never before, you know, but it goes on to say, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. I want to just unpack this 
this passage and really this verse four and five, which says, you have abandoned the love you had at first and remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you have done at first. Now, there is so much hope in this passage, more than we realize. Yeah, so I just want to draw our attention to the hope and the secrets of God's heart that are hidden in this passage and uh, just submit it to you to consider. So before we jump into the, the um, you know, principles that we can draw from this passage, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your commendation for us as a body of Christ. We thank you for the warnings that you give us. We thank you for the directions in which you call us and direct us. We thank you, Lord. I pray right now that you would anoint me, anoint my tongue to speak your words with power and with clarity. I pray, Lord, that this would be not just a time of unraveling the secrets and mysteries of your word, but, to, but of heart change, of life transformation. And I pray that not one person uh, sitting here together listening to this will go back from this unchanged. I pray Holy Spirit that you would impact my heart and the hearts of all those who are listening in this time. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So from this passage I want to draw out three things. There are three principles that are very obvious, very evident in just this sentence where it says, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. The interesting thing is this passage on first love starts with works and ends with works. It says, I know your works and so on and so forth. And it ends with repent and do the works you did at first. Yeah. So works are an integral part of our love for God. And so we're going to look at how that is. But the three principles that I want to draw out from this is firstly, the principle of priority or the principle of first. We're going to talk about God's first priority and God, our first priority as, as uh, he commanded in the Bible. Then there is the principle of remembrance says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And then there is the principle of repentance or returning. Let's talk about the principle of priority. God's first love. Now, in First John, which I've already mentioned, it says, First John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. Now, between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have always existed in a, a communion of love forever and ever. But outside of the Trinity, if there was one thing to point out and say, that is what I'm after, this verse tells us that. He first loved us. Now, how do we know this? If you look with me in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Okay, this was originally the passage that I was going to uh, speak on but uh, things just changed and this is I feel I feel a more urgent word for for us this morning Ephesians 1 4 and 5 says even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption uh, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world was even um, laid down, before he started one single act of creation, he chose us. He loved us. He chose to love us. Love is an act of choice. We choose to love uh, somebody. Yeah. Have you ever made a vision board for yourself? 
you know when you when you make a vision board you don't you don't go in a chronological order you you go by what are the biggest things that you want to achieve say you know a five year vision board what are the biggest things that what are your objectives what are your main goals and on the basis of that you build the rest of your days you build the rest of your routine yeah that is how we make a vision board when my father first started building this house where they're living in right now it is massive okay we were we were at the time just four of us um uh, and uh, he built uh mango he he planted mango seeds on the entire perimeter uh, of the property okay now mango seeds mango trees don't give you fruit until some 10 20 years but he planted it then and uh, the the house is massive there is a pool inside the house and these are things that nobody even thinks about people think okay we are four of us a 2 bhk will be fine okay but he built a huge garden and this huge house for people to run around and all and uh, one day we asked my uh, my father like what why did you build such a huge house and he said it's not just for me your kids will come there and their kids will come and their kids will. so he had that in his mind when he was building the house and i feel like that's what god that did with us you know he chose us first as an object of his affection and then he created the entire universe yeah uh in psalm 139 uh, 16 it says your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them do you see god's priority for loving us if you are a believer in christ this morning you are the recipient of god's first love and to confirm that our names were sealed with him even before the foundation of the world it says in revelation 13:8 to all who dwell on the earth will worship it he's talking about uh, people who do not love him who worship the beast speaking of the devil and says everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain god's love was so committed that he wrote down our names in the book of the lamb before the foundation of the world now just take a second to let that sink in before he thought of anything to be created the sun the moon the earth the stars anything he thought of us as the object of his affection of his unfailing love and then out of that he goes on to give his first command to us Deuteronomy 6:4 to 5. Now this is God's first command and our command to first love him, yeah. It says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might." In fact, Jesus when he was asked to sum up the entire law, this is what he said, okay? In Matthew 22:37, 38, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. This is the command. This is the first command that God has. This is the first expectation that God has out of us that we would seek him first, that we would seek his kingdom first and everything else will be added into it. To love him first. Now first love is not puppy love. 
you know uh, we use this phrase in our culture is saying you know like he was my first love before i before i could even grow up you know i have a boyfriend and all of these things happen in our culture today saying you know he was my first love first love is not puppy love it is priority love that is what god is expecting of us we are to first love him and when that is set right everything else falls in alignment his command is to love god and then to love one another and we are going to talk about loving one another and it is something we spend our whole lives uh, you know trying to figure out how exactly to love people who are unlovable but before that before any of that comes loving god first love him and we'll talk about how can we love him in just a minute but i want to go on then to the principle of remembrance now nini aunty brought this out in in the sharing of the bob as well and i think it's it's splendid how god ties all of these things up together because remembrance is the very thing that she noted you know in that first corinthians 11 um chapter but before we jump into our remembrance i want to point out that the word remember itself was used 168 times in the bible it is an important word for for it to be used so many times yeah but what is fascinating is before god commands us to remember anything like in the case of the communion he first talks about god's remembrance leviticus 26:42 then i will remember my covenant with jacob and i will remember my covenant with isaac and my covenant with abraham and i will remember the land now does god need to remember because he tends to forget is he is his mind just so full of things from having always existed that he cannot remember you know can't, oh who's this abraham i forgot <laughs> you know it's it's not like that god doesn't forget he is omniscient that means he knows everything always but for god to remember when he says that i will remember you okay for god to remember a covenant means he will bless us in accordance with his promises In Genesis 30:22 we see this where Rachel is crying out to God because she couldn't have a child and then it says then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb And then again on the other hand on the flip side of it the Bible also says that he will not remember some things In Isaiah 43:25 it says I even I am he who blots out your transgression and remembers your sins no more and this catch this for my own sake now that is essential because it is the nature and the character of God to remember his covenant with us and to forget our transgression to forget our sins he says i will remember your sins no more all over the you know uh, psalms it it talks about how god will forget our iniquities that is the character of god it is a choice to remember some things and to not remember some things to remember in this context means to bring to the forefront of our of our mind of our hearts yeah Uh, and knowing this david cries out in psalm 25:7 he says remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions but according to your steadfast love remember me for your for the sake of your goodness o lord david knew something about god's heart that he doesn't want to nitpick and remember all the sins and iniquities that separate us but instead he wants to remember what binds us 
Yeah, that is a choice that God has and he makes actively out of his, um, you know, steadfast love for us. And as a result of that, as a, as a response to that, what does God require of us? You know, God's call to remembrance is not to look back, but to look up. Now think about it. It, it says even in this verse in Revelation, that remember from where you have fallen. Now, this is not a statement in derision, okay? This is not putting us down. Like, remember from where you have fallen. You know, we kind of tend to give tone to different things, but that is not how God's saying, remember from where you have fallen. It is a call back into first love. Remember God, remember his nature, remember his love, his covenant, his sacrifice. That is our call to remembrance, not to look back at our own iniquities. When God doesn't remember it, why should we? Never in the Bible does it ask us or command us to remember our sin or our iniquities or our guilt and our shame. He asks us very specifically to remember a few things. And I'll just point those out. In the New Testament, of course, like Auntie Nini brought out today, the first thing that comes to our mind when we say remember is this 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, Jesus himself breaking bread says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of wine and he said, in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We are called to remember the covenant that Jesus makes with us, just as God will never forget. He will always remember the covenant that he has made with us. Yeah, we are called to do that. And how often are we asked to remember? As often as you eat bread and drink wine. Now, I don't know about you, but that is quite often for me. Okay, at least three times, maybe not the wine. <laughs> that would be inappropriate. But as often as you eat bread, I mean, how many times do you eat bread or rice or, you know, whatever? At least three times, unless you're fasting. In fact, we tend to remember Jesus even more when we're fasting. But at least the number of times that you're eating, remember the covenant that God has made with us. That, that is pretty often. And I feel like we need remembrance because we tend to forget. We tend to forget a lot of things. But this is not just a New Testament command, you know. In Exodus 28, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And again, in numbers, and I'm just picking like one or two, because like I said, there are 168 places where this word remember has been used. Okay, this is not even counting the places where it talks about the book of remembrance and this and that. But the command for us is like this. Numbers 1540 says, um, so shall you remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. See how wherever this remembrance is there, it has to do with relationship. Keep yourself holy. Keep that time away from uh, everything else. Do not pollute your time with me, uh, with anything else. Keep my commandments. Do as I say, because our relationship depends on it. The heart of God is the heart of relationship. It's the heart of a father wanting reconciliation with his children. It's important that we remember. Sorry, there is something. Um, yeah. So why is it important to remember? What happens if we uh, remember wrongly or remember uh, 
not according to the word of God. I just want to give an example here. In Numbers 11, 5 and 6, it says, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. You know, they're remembering all of this food that they ate, not remembering that it cost them their own very freedom. But remember, remember what happened to this whole generation. The entire generation of these people who remembered the, the fish that we ate that cost nothing. Hey, it cost you your whole life and the life of your children and children. You were sold into slavery forever without any way out. Okay, but what they are choosing to remember here is the fish that they ate in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. And then they're saying, but now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. They have forgotten the breakthrough that God had done, how he parted the Red Sea and made dry ground for them to walk upon. They have forgotten how miraculously out of the sky bread started falling so that they can sustain this wilderness season. There is a remembrance that leads to death. And there is a remembrance that leads to life. And we would do well to keep in mind and remember according to the word of God. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It is such a sad thing that the whole nation, that whole generation of Israel that grumbled and remembered what they were missing out on could not live to see the promised land. But on the other hand, when Joshua and the Joshua generation, the ones who actually got to see the promised land, when they cross the river Jordan, God immediately gives them a command to set up these stones so that they can remember. Yeah, it is important what we remember and why it says in Joshua 4, 6 to 7. When your children ask in time to come, what did these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Before the covenant of the Lord, there was a breakthrough. Yeah, the waters were, were parted. Don't let what happened to the earlier generation happen to you. The waters were parted and we need to remember that. We need to remember the great deeds that God has done. The Psalms are full of that instruction saying, I will remember with, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God led us out of the wilderness into our promised land. That is what we need to remember. We have to remember according to the word of God. And it says in, in the same passage, Joshua 4, 6 to 7, so these stones shall be to the people of of Israel a memorial forever what are the memorials in your life think about it what are you remembering every day what is in the forefront of your mind think about it that is the principle of remembering and finally there is the principle of returning it says return or it says repent and do the works you did at first now re returning and repentance. Now, this is a bad word, but do not close your ears. Okay. Returning or repentance has to do with our heart. And it is a gift from God. We need to change our mindset about repentance. 
I feel it is such a beautiful thing that God offers to us because he wants a relationship with us. It is a rerouting system that is given for our spirit so that we don't wander away. You know, God has never had to repent of anything because primarily repentance is the means for us to access right belonging with God, access right relationship with God. Now, Jesus has never had to do that because he was always walking in step with the spirit. Okay, but because we are born in Adam, we are born with a sinful nature and repentance is the only way that we can adjust our relationship with God. Now, recently we got a car. We are so excited and blessed and thankful for it. Okay, but imagine that you're going to a showroom to pick up a car. Okay, and the showroom, the cars are always pointed towards the glass doors or glass windows, whatever they are. Yeah, so they're parked in such a way that they're facing a wall, basically. Okay, that is the posture in which we are born. Okay, when it comes to relationship with God. Now, if you want to get that car home, you can't just put it in first gear and drive. You'll just crash into the wall. Okay, what is required for the car to function on the road is that we first take reverse gear okay thank thank you jesus for automatic you just have to put it in reverse gear and there will be a picture where you can see where you're going in the back and you have to first and foremost repent okay we have to go back all right we we need to turn around return all of these words are used um synonymously because that is what repentance means okay repentance is to turn around Okay, uh, turn around and turn towards God. So just as if you want to get a car out of a parking lot or out of the showroom or something, you have to first take reverse gear. Okay, so you have to first return. Okay, repent, and then you can go on with God. Okay, um, Peter, Peter had shared this glorious gospel to thousands of people with great boldness telling, you know, you crucified Jesus and all of that. And, you know, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the best sermon ever. All right. And people were impacted. You know, people were cut to the heart and, and um, you know, uh, they wanted a, a solution. OK, that was a powerful message. Would you agree? That was such a powerful message that he preached. But realize that being impacted or touched by a sermon is not the same thing as repentance. There is something that we still have to do. Yeah. Uh, in Acts 2.38. Now, these people who do not know Jesus listen to the message and they are cut to the heart and they come asking brothers. They realize there is this connection. And, you know, I, I need to belong to Jesus just as you belong to Jesus. So they come and ask brothers, what should we do now? Because this is all white and black written on a piece of paper, the entire Bible, we tend to give tone to stuff, you know, just as we do with our text messages. If we don't like somebody, it's like they are saying this with bad intentions, <laughs> you know, uh, how we how we read into um, written words. I feel like we've given a tone to pa uh, Peter's response where he says, you know, repent and be baptized. You know, that is that is the kind of tone that we imagine. I imagine that that tone of, you know, Peter saying, you know, Peter is standing on the stage and he says, repent and be baptized and something like that. But reading this again, I feel like Peter is saying this is easy. You know, you want a relationship with God. He did everything on the cross. You just have to turn around, repent and be baptized, belong to the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. This is so much easier. Peter didn't say, here are 633 laws, follow them. He said, no, repent, turn around, turn around and see what God has done for you. Yeah, so repentance is a beautiful thing. Now, I want to make a distinction very clear. Repentance for the purpose of salvation is a one-time thing. Okay, there is one time in our lives when we turn around once and for all, we take the car out of the parking lot, okay? And we say, uh, out of the showroom or whatever. And that is the time that we are saved, okay? When we, when we repent unto salvation, that is a one-time event, okay? We don't repent every single day asking God to save us, okay? Because salvation is a once, um, you know, done deal. However, there is a repentance that is ongoing, Okay, just to take take this car analogy a little further. I don't know if how many of you use this GPS system. Um, the woman who tells you the directions in the GPS system has been the biggest point of contention in my marriage. Okay, so far um, that that I, I don't know what it is, but she is so annoying to me, uh, and she she's so slow, and um, she's she's constantly saying something, and I'm like. I just switch it off sometimes and say, you know what? I can figure it out. And every single time that Andrew and I have gone out somewhere where we needed to use the GPS and I'm like, I don't want this woman's voice in my ear. I'm, I can see the map. I will figure it out. Okay. And that is what, that is what we do. And, uh, and every single time there has been at least a couple of turns that we missed because I realized only after we crossed the turning that we actually missed it. So what do we do? We turn around, you know, but if I say, no, 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 you go, I'm sure there'll be some way out. We would have been stuck in Goa till now, to be very honest, you know, but uh, repentance is a gift because you can turn around. Yeah. If you switch on that woman's voice and she says rerouting and then she'll just reroute you back to the correct place. Okay. Now I understand. I understand that. Um, People like it uh, to, you know, constantly know how it is, you know, wh where should I go? Should I go straight? Should I go left or right? Um, I've given in, you know, finally I said, okay, I'm going to switch on that woman's voice. But sometimes we do this to the Holy Spirit, you know, where the Holy Spirit can, can be very beautiful. I mean, the, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so intimate and loving and all of that. But when your flesh wants to go in one direction and the Holy Spirit wants to go in another direction, the voice of the Holy Spirit can seem like that woman's voice sometimes, you know. So when sometimes when we want to do our own thing and we're like, you know what, I have the map, okay, saying I have the Bible. So I have the map. I know what to do. I basically have to be a good person. And we say, I'll figure it out. You know, I don't need you to tell me every single step of the way. And then our flesh comes into the picture and somewhere we kind of take the wrong turn or we kind of miss the right turn. Okay. And as a result of that, we need to repent. There is no shame in that. It's, it's relationship with God. It's the most precious thing. That is what we need to be after. There is no shame in repentance, guys. If we are always in step with the spirit, we will not have to repent that much. But if you're anything like me, sometimes we let the flesh lead and we take wrong turns and we need to repent. And repentance also comes in the form of other people telling us that we are a little lost. And that's all right. There is no shame in that. There are a couple of things that repentance brings apart from forgiveness of sins in our life. One, it returns us to intimacy with God. In Malachi 3, 7, it says, return to me and I will return to you. God is not one to punish us with 
by withdrawing himself when we are broken. He gives grace to the humble. So when we repent, we return to intimacy with God. It is the most beautiful place to be. And secondly, repentance refreshes us. Acts 3.19, again, Peter, after he uh, preaches the sermon, he, uh, the gospel, he tells the people, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Intimacy with God means that he also refreshes us. Matthew 11.28 echoes this when Jesus says, are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. This coming to Jesus is a repentance. It is saying that I'm going to forsake the things that do not belong to you and I'm going to belong to you, Jesus. That's it. It's as simple. It will refresh your life. He will refresh your life for he is our oasis. So these are the three principles that I wanted to highlight for us this morning. So what should our response be? Now, very quickly, I know we don't have much time, but very quickly, I want to go through some of the responses that we can practically do. How can we love God well? Firstly, cultivate a secret life with God. Now, if you should have a secret life at all, let it be that you have this amazing intimacy with God that nobody knows about. If you need to have a life that other people don't know, let it be this, that you are so generous, that you are so in love with Jesus. Let it be that. Mark 1.35, it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out into a desolate place. And there he prayed. He communed with God. Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We are not doing this for anybody's applause, but to have intimacy with the father. It is the most precious thing. And that is how we love him. We love him with our whole life by giving him priority. In what areas of your life? Do you need to give priority to God? Do you need to give priority to Jesus? Consider that. I'm not going to tell you do this, do this, do this, because it's between you and God. Of course, you know, read your Bible and, you know, all of that. But sometimes I feel I have, listen, I have only known Christian life, okay, Christian church culture that is full of grace. But I feel like, um, but I've not been in a legalistic setting ever. You know, my first church that I'm uh, that I've grown up in is Word of Grace. OK, so I've not known this legalistic environment. And I know I understand if you're reacting to a legalistic mindset. But somewhere I feel that, you know, uh, in the name of grace or what we call grace, we have let ourselves be drawn too far away from the fire. Let it burn a little. OK, let it inconvenience you a little. But it is important that we stay connected, that we stretch ourselves, that we prioritize God, that it costs us something. Cultivate a secret life with God. Nobody needs to know. But God knows, you know. Then let his interest become your interest. In John 2, 13 to 17. Now, this is this is a passage that always rattles me because this is so against what I would do. I mean, I'm not confrontational at all, but this is what Jesus does. 
the Passover of the Jews was at hand and the Jews went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. I do, do not make my father's house a house of trade. And then his disciples, again, there's that word, remembered. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. They saw Jesus being zealous for what concerns the father. In another gathering in Matthew 12, 48 to 50, he says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the one, to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out towards his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. That is amazing. That God, uh, Jesus was so caught up in the concerns of his father that he said, my relationships are with the church, with, with, with those who do the will of my father. Let his interests become your interests. When the zeal for his house consumes us, we are able to set our own houses straight. You know, from the moment that we wake up, there are a million things that are demanding our attention. From the second that we open our eyes, you know, whether it is um, work emails or Instagram or maybe your spouse needs your attention or your children need your attention. There are so many things that are just tugging at us. But the right order of priorities will return to our lives when we put him first. When Jesus is first in your life, the, your, your, your priority and order will return to our own houses as well. Thirdly, remember God's promises and his covenant. Now, don't look back, look up. Okay, that is the call. Look up. Remember his covenant. Remember his promises. Pay attention to what you remember. What is at the forefront of your mind and your heart on a daily basis? Is it the way that people have let you down over the years? Is it the way that you let God down sometimes? Is it guilt or shame? Is it pride or offense? What occupies your mind most of the time? Take time to remember what is true. Write it in your journal. Every time you eat, remember Jesus. Remember his sacrifice. In your waking, in your lying down, remember his promises. What do you need to do to, for, for that to happen? Write it down. Put it somewhere. You know, Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 21 says this. Therefore shall you lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting down in your house and when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall write them on your doorposts of your houses, okay, and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Remember into life. Do not remember into death. Right. Remember, I said, you know, there is a there is a type of remembrance that leads to death and there is a type of remembrance that leads to life. Choose life. Choose life in your memories, in, in what you choose to remember, what is at the forefront of your mind. And finally, 
repent. Now, I don't, I don't want to say this like an instruction because I have had to repent, I think, day before yesterday, I had to repent before God because I was letting my morning, you know, quiet time with God just get so polluted with different concerns of my heart or YouTube tutorials and Instagram and, and you know, all of these things. And I, I forgot to keep that time holy. I forgot to keep myself holy, consecrated, set apart for the Lord. Repent as often as it is needed. And what is the what is the evidence of repentance? Now, I want to make a distinction here between grief and repentance. Okay, it's very clearly pointed out in this uh, verse in 2 Corinthians 7, 9. It says, Paul says, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Okay, the true test of repentance is in the fruit that it bears. Matthew uh, 3, verse 8 um, Jesus tells this to, you know, the Pharisees are saying you brood of vipers and all of that. And he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That is the test. Grief in itself is not repentance. OK, though sometimes it can include that. OK, uh, the rich young ruler, if you remember, the rich young ruler who met with Jesus went away after hearing Jesus feeling very sad, but he did not repent. He went away not having changed a thing about his life. On the other hand, Zacchaeus, who did not shed a single tear, in fact, he was rejoicing, repented because he, in, a, in an instant, his riches were, were gone in half. He said, you know, everything that I've stolen from people in all of these years, I'm going to return. Okay. And everything, all of these um, wealth that I have accumulated, okay, half of that, I'm going to give it to the poor. That is repentance. That is true repentance. You don't have to cry and be like the mother of sorrows all the time to show people that you are truly repentant. A repentant heart means that there, are, there is fruit of that repentance in our lives. This is, the, this is the gospel because Paul testifies before King Agrippa saying in Acts 26, 20, that they should repent and turn to God. This, this is him saying, I have, I have preached this gospel, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And if you're wondering now, what are these deeds? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I said sorry to God and I, I have no intentions of, uh, you know, um, not prioritizing him in my life anymore. But what are these what are these deeds that are in keeping with our repentance? Again, going back to Revelations 2, 5, it says, repent and do the works you did at first. When you first came to Jesus, how did your heart burn to be in intimacy with the Father? What did you do at that time? For as for me, I would I would spend hours together just reading the word and worshiping. Nobody had to know. It was not a church event. It was my time, you know, and and that was there. You know, I, I gave more than I can afford, uh, more than I could afford. And I could afford very little at the time. But I gave out of that because I, my heart was so burning to 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 please God more than anything else. You know, so if you're confused about how do I repent and how do I bear fruit in keeping with repentance, start with this. Do the works you did at first. You know, we're talking about loving one another and that is that is the call. But as a bride getting ready for the bridegroom, the first thing we need to do is to prepare ourselves in love towards the bridegroom, Jesus. Okay, our, our call and, and our, our way to get ready 
for God is to first love him. Yeah. Um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We, I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to return to first love. I pray that you would help us to remember your covenant, remember your promises over our life. And I pray that you would enable us to repent from the ways that are not pleasing to you. Whatever it is, Lord, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. I, I pray that you would, you would show us how to repent and how to get back to first love. I pray for the grace for all of us to, to return to complete intimacy with the Father. And I pray and release a refreshing to come upon the entire church. I pray that at the end of our time, you would not find this against us, that we have abandoned our first love, that you will find us burning and zealous for the house of the Father. We want to belong to you, Lord. We want to get ourselves ready. We want to be filled with oil. We want to be pleasing to you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, come and work in each one of our hearts and our spirits. Awaken us. Awaken us, Lord. Awaken us. Jesus, return us to first love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.